Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Welcome to the first podcast of 2020. A Happy New Year to you all. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and hosted on the Rebel Alliance Media Network, which is now on the uh, the reformed rebel something something. Uh, Nate, what are you guys called now? Anyway, we're proud to be... Uh, friends of theirs. We're, uh, we're honored to have brothers and sisters to stand uh, shoulder to shoulder with as we declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life. I encourage you to check out the Rebels, check out the Ezra Institute, plenty of great resources for you and your family there to help you understand and engage with culture from a scriptural perspective. So a little while ago, Joe Boot was in the UK he sat down with Paul Huxley and Ben John at Christian Concern to talk about what is culture, what does it mean to be cultured, and how is the Christian to understand their, their life in, uh, in all of its aspects in this world as a sacrifice of, uh, of praise to Jesus. Joe and Ben and Paul talk about the sanctity of every vocation, about an evangelical vision for the totality of life and the need for evangelizing in every area of life. They finish up with a discussion on the value and the importance of developing new institutions, new cultural uh, bodies that, uh, that can interact with, engage with, and transform culture in their own way in subjection to Jesus. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. My name is Paul Huxley. I'm the communications manager for Christian Concern, and I'm here today with uh, Dr. Joe Boot. Dr. Joe Boot is uh, our Wilberforce Academy's director. He's also the uh, founder uh, of Ed the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. And I'm also here with Ben John, who is our um, uh, Wilberforce Academy Development, development officer. officer. That's the one. Thanks, Joe. Um, so we're here to talk about culture today. And I thought since uh, Joe has um, founded um, the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity, which has a lot to say about culture, and he's also written a book, Gospel Culture, maybe you can tell us uh, what we're talking about in terms of culture. What does culture mean? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a good place to start because obviously the word culture is used um, almost indiscriminately in popular language now. We talk about business culture, arts culture, uh, political culture, sports culture, gay culture, and so on and so forth. So um, it is helpful to kind of pare back, uh, especially as we think about culture in relationship to the Christian faith. So uh, as with a lot of our English words, there's a Latin root to cultivate and culture, um, cultere and cultus. Uh, so uh, in its root, uh, culture is the cultus, and we, we actually retain the... Uh, the religious connotation actually of culture in our use of the word cult, because we speak about the cults, uh, you know, like Jehovah's Witnesses or uh, the Mormons and so forth, we speak of the cults. So uh, culture ultimately, uh, from certainly from a Christian standpoint, is about uh, the worship of a people. Uh, uh, I think perhaps the best and most concise definition of culture that I've ever come across is from Henry Van Til, who says culture is religion externalized. And uh, we can very easily illustrate that. I often ask people the question, you know, if you go to Saudi Arabia or Pakistan today, what kind of culture will you encounter? 
And usually people are fairly quick not to answer, uh, well, Islamic culture, that's right, because it's there in the law and in the diet and in the, the um, architecture and in the dress code and in the education and so forth. And if you go to China or North Korea, you experience a Marxist-oriented uh, culture. If you come to the West today, uh, certainly in the past, people would have probably said you were coming to a Christian culture. Um, now it's probably more accurate to say you're coming to a, if you come to Britain, you're encountering a secular culture uh, that demonstrates or manifests the cultural vestiges of Christianity. So we have it, the vestiges are there in our language, in our architecture, in our laws, in many of our laws and so on. But that is no, Christianity is no longer the, let's say, the life force that is giving direction or shape to uh, the progress uh, of our culture today. Um, yeah, we'd probably say there are a few forces at work, but in general, I think people would say that they encountered a, a secular humanistic culture. So culture fundamentally is about our applied beliefs. It's about the way our most basic uh, assumptions about reality uh, work themselves out and are applied in everyday life. So culture, I mean, it's almost, as you're talking now, I was thinking so in some ways this is a similar word to civilization, what's grown out of Christianity, except that in a sense, um, civilization is something that's a bit more static and kind of long-lasting and um, and sort of exists in a Christian context and less in perhaps other ones. Does does our current secular culture have anything that it's growing into? What's it What's it turning into? What are mm -hmm. the ultimate fruits of our current secularism? Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. Uh, interesting the connection you make with civilization, because if you actually take an older dictionary and you would have to get an older dictionary, um, you will find that uh, uh, a type of civilization is one of the definitions of culture. Um, so, and if you think about it in terms of the cultivation, the culture, the cultivation of the mind, the heart, in terms of a sort of intellectual, moral, spiritual tilling that's going on all of the time, out of that cultivation of the person grows a type of civilization. And in fact, our grandparents used this term. They would speak about uh, an individual that they knew being he's, he or she is very cultured um or 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 the, or you know they're very civilized um you know because they were speaking about somebody who was well raised well cultivated well well developed so that that, that is definitely part of the significance the meaning of the word in our usage for sure as to what uh, what we're planting what we're tilling what we're cultivating for tomorrow um well there's probably a couple of answers to that i think on the one hand, I'm not sure the revolutionaries know. Um, we're in a state of, of revolution against Christian culture. Uh, but uh, as was the case with um, a more traditional Marxism, uh, the sort of thought is that the, somehow eventually the, the state will disappear, religion as we know it will disappear, and utopia will appear. Uh, by some sort of um, magic, really. You, you know, the utopia is the result of overturning civilization, overturning Christian civilization. And as you overturn that uh, in the Marxist view, then this utopian world, uh, a stateless world eventually, even though the state may be needed in transition uh, to impose the new ideas, 
um, will emerge. Um, I certainly don't think that's what's emerging. Utopia means no place. Um, that's literally true. <laughs> you know, there there is no way for man to get back to paradise or to to the garden outside of the Christian gospel. So the no place of utopia is certainly not where we're heading. Um, I think that the kind of what's driving Western uh, secular neo-pagan culture right now is a uh, a modified form of Marxism, which is very open to all kinds of pagan spirituality. And uh, its goal is simply the overturning of existing meaning um, and existing uh, structures. Yeah, I, I think that really ties in uh, as well with a lot of this push towards uncritically endorsing and celebrating multiculturalism. So I just want to qualify what we mean there. Using the definition we used before of culture as our worship, mm -hmm. when we talk about multiculturalism in society today, people think we're talking um, multi-ethnicity or, yeah. or different, you know, just merely just foods or styles and things like that, when in fact... It is the worship. There's a reason why, for example, we criticize the polygamous marriages that's um, going on under the radar in our countries because of the Sharia courts. Mm -hmm. There's a reason our nation has banned female genital mutilation mm -hmm. because that's bad culture. Whereas mm -hmm. if we say, oh, we're just going to uncritically accept multiculturalism, mm -hmm. well, by what standard do we mm -hmm. do that? So I think what's happening is, and you really hit the nail on the head, we're running away from our legacy of Christendom and Christian cultures, which of course wasn't perfect, but we're just trying to embrace each and every type of other culture. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it, it's so incoherent and incon inconsistent that something will have to dominate in the end. So it's quite interesting the way that many secular liberals have partnered with um, mm -hmm. Muslims, even though their worldviews are completely yes. um, contradictory. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the reasons I asked that question was because I was wondering if our current situation really does have a future. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that comes to mind is in Ephesians, um, Ephesians 2, I think, um, it speaks of unbelievers as having no hope in this world. Yes, without and, hope, without God in the world. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so it seems to me that whereas Proverbs 31, the, the wise, was, wise woman uh, laughs at the future and you know, has this hope, in in her uh the wise have a hope in them um christians have a hope in them even in this world obviously beyond this world and uh when uh jesus returns but um it seems to me that what our current culture is sowing for itself is death in mm -hmm. abortion in euthanasia um, in general fruitlessness in terms of marriage you know in terms of the secular atheist kind of worldview although it seems dominant it's feel, it feels very fragile mm -hmm. um to me and yeah I don't know if you have anything to say on that. Well, there's a, you know, um, those points are related. You know, the, there's, a, there's a nervelessness that we have now, even as Christians, to affirm that one culture might be superior to another. Because all we're actually saying there when we recognize the superiority of one culture to another is that we recognize true worship is superior to idolatry. Because if culture is the public manifestation of the worship of a people, then false worship is going to produce an inferior culture and has done inferior cultures. Uh, and we've lost uh, confidence in our culture in uh, the West, what was known as Christendom, 
because we've no, we've no longer got a strong and enduring faith in Christ collectively as a culture. And that means, of course, we, we're very insecure about our own history, um, our own beliefs, um, the things that have informed our laws uh, and um, the, the, even the freedoms and the liberties that we enjoy. These are now fragile because they are no longer undergirded by the world and life view, by the, the form of worship, the culture, that, but the birthdom. And so it is important, Ben, as you say, that when we speak about um, when we're critical of multiculturalism, what we're not criticizing is other ethnicities, other types of food and dress and uh, music and dance and all of these sorts of in, things. At least in general. Obviously, uh, we might say that uh, a secular paganism has led to um, licentiousness. Or sure, kind of, or yeah. very debased yeah. forms of music but, or art, for but, sure. But for, for the most part, we're not saying that um, Christian culture has created um, beautiful, uh, juicy steaks, French food, this kind <laughs> of stuff. Right. And other cultures have got inferior food. No good food. Like right, exactly. Uh, and, and we're certainly not saying that uh, European slash white civilization is superior because it's white. Yeah, um, in fact, uh, let's remember, and important for listeners to, to be reminded, I suspect, that you know the, the Christian faith, the cradle of the faith was the Middle East and um, North Af or the ancient Near East and North Africa. And uh, the Christian faith was in North Africa and China, you know, before it came to Europe, where in Scotland, at least, we were drinking the blood of the dead. Um, and uh, so, this, so this has absolutely nothing to do with the color of a person's skin. Uh, or our superiority in any way whatsoever. Or, it's all it, by grace. Exactly. And in fact, the whole issue, the whole idea of a Christian commonwealth is that Christian cultures were able to take in and did take in peoples from all around the world uh, because of a confidence that we had in our own faith in Christ and because what uh, makes for, a, for unity within a society is not a common skin color or, common, or even a common dress code, but a common worship. And uh, a commonwealth is formed out of those who, have, who, who ultimately share a common set of uh, values sh actually share a sovereign. I mean, even when you think about the British Commonwealth, what gave a, a sense of unity to the British Commonwealth was a shared sovereign. Well, uh, Christian culture should be able to and and have in the past been able to take in all kinds of different people groups because of uh, confidence in their sovereign Jesus Christ, and then what makes for unity in society and culture is shared worship. So that's what we mean by being, when we're critical of multiculturalism, is we're saying that we don't believe that uh, the worship of uh, idols, the worship of false gods, is equal to the worship of Jesus Christ, uh, the living God. So if, we, um, if we're critical of the culture that we're living in then, um, and we want to see it changed, I mean, do we want to see it changed, first of all, and how do we actually change it? Because it seems to me that if culture is purely something that flows from worship then one could argue, um, I mean, some do argue that actually the most important thing to do is um, structure our worship services at church right and uh, make sure we're singing psalms. And I, I'm sure these things are really useful and important, but presumably that's not the whole answer. Sure. Well, that's obviously, that's a huge uh, topic. And um, 
yes, when we let, let's let's just start with that whole issue of worship. When I talk about worship, the cultists, the uh, religion externalized, the worship of a people, we are talking about faith that is externalized in every area of your life, uh, not simply a reform of the church's liturgy. I mean, the Reformation was not simply um, a reform of um, the church's liturgy or confession. Um, it was a reform, really, of a whole world and life view of things. And, and that's why the unified ecclesiastical culture of the medieval period broke down with the Reformation, because the Reformation was much more than simply saying, let's rethink how we're doing our church worship services. Let's have less of this Mariology. Um, let's think a little bit differently about uh, the the communion uh, and what that actually means in terms of a, a criticism of the mass. Um, and uh, let's also look at this whole issue of indulgences and purgatory and all these various doctrinal issues, which are, of course, important. It was much more than that. It was a way of thinking about the church's relationship to culture as a whole um, and uh, actually also something of a reform in how the Christian understood their life in the world. I mean, was the church the simply a, um, a, a sort of um, institute of grace perched on top of nature, um, the, uh, the, where the sort of uh, the, the state in which you lived was a portal uh, that could take you to the point where you then entered a realm of grace, which could take you to eternal bliss, um, and where if you really wanted to serve the Lord, you served in that realm of grace, in the holy orders, or was all of life, in fact, to be lived in its fullness um, as Christ diaconate unto the Lord, where people, where there is a priesthood of all believers, and, you know, to be a butcher, a baker, and a candlestick maker is as holy as being a monk. Uh, so, so the Reformation was about much more than reforming the liturgy. Uh, it was about... Um, an evangelical vision of the totality of life. So it's interesting what you're talking about there, because in the old kind of Catholic, um, where, you know, the Roman, Pope Ca could, Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic, Catholic. Catholic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course, mm -hmm. where, you know, the Pope could excommunicate the Kings and things like that. Mm. Um, you had the church and you had, um, the church as the, the lo almost the, the institutional church as the sovereign mm. over, society and the state and things like that when in fact i think what you're touching on is about how it's about the individuals and in our individual spheres of influence that is where we worship god in all areas of our mm -hmm. lives and so as individuals going out into the workplace as individuals in our families we transform those spheres spheres so that we're worshiping god and we point them back to god i think you often talk about this in a way when we say about um structure versus direction mm -hmm. uh, and in the example of for example a marriage is uh, a creational institution so mm -hmm. is a marriage it's between a man and a woman and so a marriage between unbelievers is still a marriage even if it's not in the church right. but the point is the direction is different because they're not worshiping god mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. they're worshiping mm -hmm. themselves mm -hmm. you know and 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 there's a clear worldview in the christian world and life view on how christians should approach marriage how christians should approach their work and so i think what an issue we're seeing in society and in culture today is that christians 
aren't thinking uh, are not doing we need to do two things we need to do evangelism of course but we need to as christians be seeing a worldview applied in our own lives we seem to think that oh if we just do evangelism and then everyone in the country will become a christian and then uh abortion will be ended Mm -hmm. when in fact we need to be speaking out against abortion now You know, it's this, it's a simple case of discipling all of our lives right. and bringing all of our lives under the lordship of Christ. And whether we're a baker or a politician, then that that will have some influence on how we do that. And if we're saying that our culture, as in what grows from our worship um, throughout our lives, um, is actually the best culture, it's the ideal culture, and then we're not just saying that because we think it's better, but because it's actually how God made the universe, it's how God calls us to be and is therefore the best for us. Mm-hmm. And it's the best, not just for our, our, ourselves, but for all the people around us, whether they believe in it or not. Right. Yeah, there's, a, there's an interesting, I think another helpful distinction here that, that probably help illuminate this subject a bit for people is the distinction we need to make between the Basileia and the Ecclesia, that is the kingdom and the church. And I think what you're describing, Ben, is the both the tendency that was there in the medieval period with the Roman Catholic Church, but also in a lot of modern evangelicalism, is to conflate and collapse the kingdom of God and the church uh, into an exact identity, into one thing. But actually, Jesus uh, spoke um, throughout his public ministry about the kingdom of God and only a couple of times about the church. Um, and... He speaks specifically about the kingdom being taken away from one people and given to another people that will bring forth its fruits. So there you have a clear distinction between the gathered people, the ecclesia, and the kingdom that they're being given or the kingdom that they're inheriting. So the kingdom of God is something that encompasses, you know, the totality of the cosmos, every aspect of our lives. Um, The kingdom of God is to, to do with the reign of God over every single area. And the church, the ecclesia, is the is the called out, gathered people who recognize the king. Uh, so the kingdom is everything that the king rules. The ecclesia are those who recognize the king, the Messiah, for who he actually is, and are gathered together, um, uh, are redeemed, and then sent out in terms of the reconciling purposes of the kingdom of God. You know, uh, Christ is reconciling all things to himself, and he's given us, says Paul, a ministry of reconciliation. So I think that uh, distinction is really important and it helps us see that the word of God, the scriptures, um, you talked about individuals, we can talk about families, um, uh, uh, companies, you know, employers, employees, etc. If you look at scripture, even the letters of Paul, you see the Bible itself is not addressed to the church. Uh, it's addressed to to God's people and at times it's even addressed to the apostate to unbelievers, uh, you know, the, think of some of the prophecies of Amos, for example. Um, and Paul's letters are typically addressed, except in the case of Thessalonians and Corinthians, I think, uh, to the, the saints, to believers, and only in two instances, to specifically to churches uh, as the church. Uh, and that's why Paul has teaching about marriage and being an employer or an employee and, and, and so forth in those uh, letters, because it's not simply about an ecclesiastical, you know, this is how you should do the liturgy. He's telling Christians about how they should live their lives. 
And so the word of God is for the totality of our life, and it must be preached in the church faithfully. And we need to administer the sacraments in the church faithfully and exercise church discipline so that God's people are sent out effectively for the work of the kingdom. So the kingdom is, of course, manifest in the church, but it ought to be manifest in my family, uh, in my marriage, in my vocation, in every, every area of life, so that there are indeed Christian families and Christian communities and Christian societies and even, however weak or fallible they may be, Christian nations, Christian cultures. So how can we be, because uh, I think a lot of Christians, uh, even evangelicals uh, here in England, wouldn't think like this. I mean, a lot of Christians maybe would support or embrace saying we should support pluralism or we should support mm-hmm. uh, things like multiculturalism as defined earlier. Um, uh, you know, we say, OK, of course, marriage is between a man and a woman in the church. But who are we to oppose that outside of the church? Certainly mm-hmm. political liberalism in terms of you know, the number of Christians who I respect fully in my church or in my circles who I like on so many levels and I see God working in their lives and yet it doesn't seem to have come over to political convictions, mm-hmm. uh, for example. I mean, maybe, right. maybe that's just my own crazy political convi- convictions um, showing, really, but I, I see a lot of Christians who definitely um, in their um, in their political convictions demonstrate that they are committed to that sort of multiculturalism and mm-hmm. secularism. Yeah, well, it's quite interesting because even Tim Farron, who's kind of held up as a, as evangelical mm-hmm. Christian in politics, in his resignation speech where he kind of was like, oh, I'm going to go out with a bang. He then, he did, he stated in his, in his resignation speech about, oh, I'm not one of those Christians who wants to impose my values on others, mm-hmm. which I think, and Tim Farron does do a lot of good work, but it kind of shows a misunderstanding of kind of politics and law and yeah. worldview because obviously all politics has a value and a worship behind it. Right. And all laws impose mm. morality. Yeah. Of course. So he's happy to have somebody else's values imposed, just, just not God's. Yeah. Um, you, I think, uh, Paul, you're describing there the sort of uh, totalitarian democracy of, um, of um, uh, modern or continental liberalism. Uh and the two fundamental principles at work there, which are contradictory, uh, are a kind of radical autonomy, radical freedom on the one hand, uh, and the idea of a, a moral order on the other. So on the one hand, you've got this, this notion that we, we need to have some kind of um, uh, you know, objective moral order. But on the other, you've got posited this idea of a radical kind of autonomy. And those two um, things, those two ideas are in contradiction fundamentally to one another. So what's happened is it's just produced a radical skepticism and a radical subjectivism. Skepticism about any any sort of objective belief and then subjectivism in in the whole idea of what, what may or may not be true in terms of values and morality and everything else. And that's an unworkable long term. That's an unworkable political situation. I mean, I was just watching the news last night and dozens of all these MPs I'm hearing about resigning because of the abuse that they're receiving um, um, in their work as as politicians. They just can't handle the abuse anymore. Well, when you de-Christianize a culture, 
and and with it goes Christian morality and Christian civility and so forth. You can expect that these are the, this is what happens. You know, totalitarian democracy eats itself; it destroys itself. So, Ben, you point up the the, the contradiction very well. Uh, in the end, uh, somebody's values are being applied, and somebody's worldview is being is being posited. Um, even in Tim Farron saying, I'm not going to impose my Christian values. I mean, that, that, there is a worldview behind that perspective. And it's the, it's the, it's the secular liberal uh, world and life view that only secular liberal ideas can be uh, imposed by the state. So um, I think where, where people get scared is they think that, the, where, that when we start talking about the, the gospel and the kingdom and, and applying the faith to all of life, they, said they, they, get, they become afraid that we're talking about some kind of totalitarian ecclesiocracy where the church is now controlling everything. Whereas what we have in mind, maybe introduce our listeners to a, to, to a concept of sphere sovereignty, where what we're actually talking about is the various aspects of life, the various spheres of life, like the family, like the church, like the state, like the university – enjoying liberty and freedom within their own sphere under God. Uh, they're still under God. So we don't need to, to impose a given church's confession upon the life of the state or the life of the university or the life of the family. We have to recognize simply that all of these life spheres are under God. And of course, that is governed by the Christian world and life view. Once you've denied that, you've got radical skepticism, radical subjectivism, and the society will start coming apart. There's no longer a common discourse. And that's where we've reached right now in, in, the, in the West. Yeah, I think what we're seeing at the moment is Romans 1, where we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We're worshipping crea creation, not creator. And God is handing society over. I mean, Absolutely. the stuff that's going on in our society would have been unthinkable mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. a generation ago. Yeah. And I think this is what we're seeing is we're putting ourselves up as God. We want to be God. And God is letting us put ourselves up as God yeah. in our sinful, depraved state. It's a terrifying thing to, uh, to, be, to be handed over to your own depraved mind. And uh, that is certainly part of our cultural experience right now. I didn't, to my mind, there's no question about that. The issue is where are we as God's people? Are we, are we a people, as you said, Paul, of life, not of death? Are we going to be part of this death cult or are we going to stand for the life of God in Christ in each area of life and be there when all this comes crumbling down, tumbling down? Are we going to be still there standing to rebuild? And I think that's the calling of the church right now. So if we are going to be rebuilding, what do we, where do we go for those resources? I mean, we, there are obviously some contemporary people, even though who are talking about these kinds of things and who may have guidance for us. And do we also look to the past for some pointers on what to do, what not to do, uh, you know, how to, you know, if our Christianity today is so narrow and focused on the church, as opposed to our home lives and our lives out in the world, um, then presumably that will be reflected in the, the things that we write books about, the things our conferences are generally about, um, the teaching in the pulpit. Um, mm -hmm. If that's the case, where do we go for the resources that will help us really think Christianly about everything in mm -hmm. our lives? Good question, and I'm glad you b brought that segue. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't uh, deliberate. But... <laughs> uh, I've actually... Um... I'm going to be speaking to the Wilberforce uh, graduates this weekend uh, uh, on thinking Christianly. There's an important distinction there. Um, when 
people, many Christians will say, of course we need to think Christianly, and by that they mean we need to think about Christian things. Uh, but actually what we're talking about is thinking Christianly about everything. Uh, so, you know, the collapse of, the, of a truly Christian mind is part of the, the thing that at Christian Concern we're trying to address and the Wilberforce Academy we're trying to address. Uh, in terms of the resources, um, um, if I may be so bold as to, as to direct people to the think tank, the Ezra Institute, ezrainstitute.ca, um, where we have uh, lots of online resources as well as um, uh, the printed book, um, and lectures and uh, all kinds of digital resources to help equip people in this area. We would be working out of what we might call a, a reformational evangelical tradition. And uh, I would encourage, um, I'd strongly encourage people to, uh, uh, if, if, they're, if they're inclined uh, this way intellectually, to, to consider the, the, the writing and the thinking of Abraham Kuyper, um, who was a Dutch prime minister for a short time at the beginning of the 20th century, a tremendous theologian and Christian statesman who particularly helps with this issue of relationship of, of church and state and society and thinking those things through and what it means to bring things un, under the kingship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. But a, a, a starting point would be to look at the Christian concern resources that we have, the books that we have, the Wilberforce publications, and uh, to, to dig into the Ezra Institute's resources. I'm going to throw something out there from Ezra Institute as well. Um, you presented a, a documentary, a, a film documentary called The Riot and the Dance, mm -hmm. which um, maybe you want to tell us about that, because I think that that, um, as, a, as a kind of wildlife documentary, mm -hmm. shows just one way of thinking Christianly about the animals in our world. Yeah. Um, yeah. tell, us, tell us about what happened with all that. All, yeah, all. so the, the basic idea there, we were working with um, Gorilla uh, Productions in, in, in the US. They're the, they're the producers of that. And um, uh, we know the, the team down there, the guys down there um, at uh, Canon Press. There's another good place to look for, for resources and, and Gorilla. And uh, they had a, um, a vision uh, really for... Uh, how do we how do we even begin to approach this whole issue of creation uh the um the the environment uh everything that's around us that's being gifted to us by god in a way that's alternate an alternative to david attenborough's you know uh wonderful programs that are absolutely though shot through with an evolutionary um and frankly anti-christian worldview uh, as beautiful as the cinematography is. And so the, um, uh, the EICC um, got involved in, in, in um, uh, working with them on, on, on that project and seeing that promoted in, in North America. Um, and uh, we're looking to see if we can't work with them further in, in, in fu future productions. And that's just one way of saying, well, look, if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and from him and through him and to him are all things then filmmaking and thinking about the natural world um, has to be part of the era where we begin to think uh, Christianly. And wouldn't it be remarkable if, if in, whether in the sciences, in, in economics, in business, in politics, in law, if we began to truly think Christianly um, and offer those kinds of wonderful resources and insights from a Christian world and life view to, the, to our neighbor, and uh, you know, who may be Christian but may well not be and is not the 
the command that the Lord gives to us to, to, to love the Lord our God with heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And that means feeding them living bread in the arts and sciences, in politics, and every other area of life that is going to truly feed and nourish their soul, not just say, well, you know, the world's, the world's gone secular and um, we'll just, you know, focus in on the life of the church and this is all neutral and we'll leave them to it. Uh, that's hating our neighbor. You know, that, that's, that's not loving our neighbor. So that, that's really what was behind that project. Um, and may there be many more, uh, you know, projects like it, really. So, um, so some things have come up. So that's the riot and the dance. Right and, the and, dance. You can, and if you're in the UK, you can go on. I know that you can do this because I did this. You can go on Amazon and you can buy it to stream online. It doesn't cost a whole lot. And, um, and I cheekily played it on our church weekends, church's weekend away. And some, just while other things were going on in the background and kids just gathered around to just watch yeah. it and, um, and enjoy the, the pictures and, um, and what's, what's being said there. Yeah. And, and, and listeners can, uh, can go and check out uh, all that um, Gorilla and, and Canon Press are doing as well by way of resources too. Ben, anything to add? Well, I'd say um, if you're a student or young person, you should definitely check out our Wilberforce Academy at wilberforceacademy.org.uk. Uh, this is a cultural apologetics Christian worldview uh, training academy, uh, really cultivating a, a network of young Christians passionate about applying the lordship of Christ to every area of their lives and every area of society. So we're raising up a generation of Christian public leaders uh, who are bold uh, and unashamed of speaking about Jesus Christ. When you tell people just some examples of some things that Christian, um, so the Wilberforce Academy members have gone on to to do like what what's it spurred them to carry on doing um so some immediate ones that come to mind are that a lot of people from our uh, from a lot of world before academy alumni have gone on to uh, do quite significant pro-life work um particularly which is quite encouraging particularly in evangelical networks where we i think we've lagged quite behind uh, the roman catholics uh, to see evangelicals being distinctly christian speaking about that so uh, we've been quite connected to the center for bioethical reform uk uh, many of their team are Wilberforce Academy alumni. Uh, one graduate from last year uh, is currently in the process of setting up a Christian school um, uh, up near Birmingham. Uh, so it's really exciting to see that because I think in England, uh, well, I mean, all the schools used to be Christian schools. Um, I think sometimes when I'm in North America, I think, why do we not have any Christian schools? Well, they all used to be Christian schools. Mm -hmm. um, so it's quite exciting to see people really stepping out in faith uh, to apply the Lordship, to bring education right. under the Lordship of Christ. And of course, um, these people stay in contact with you and with Joe, and there, there's a resource amongst all of us to, to put those connections in place that helps those sort of initiatives keep going. Yeah. yeah. So we have some training days uh, through the year uh, on top of our, our main one week residential program. Uh, so it's, we're looking forward to doing that one. Joe touched on it earlier when he said he's going to be speaking tomorrow on thinking Christianly uh, and Christian worldview. So we're looking forward to that. And it's, it's always a great time of fellowship yeah. and teaching. Yeah. We've seen graduates, you know, go into, uh, we've, we've some who are documentary uh, filmmakers who won awards for their documentaries. Others have gone into uh, political life in, in Europe. Um, there's a whole, you know, in a sense, a, this, this cadre of, of young emerging leaders who are moving into all these different areas of life. But what's particularly exciting, as Ben noticed, is when uh, uh, new institutions are being formed and created 
uh, like Christian schools, like pro-life organizations and so forth, that can really have a grassroots uh, impact as well uh, on the ground and maybe even stimulate a whole movement, a new movement of, of, of Christian education in in the UK. So that's the kind of thing we're, we're, we're looking to see develop and happen. And, and we're beginning to see the early, the early fruits, the early signs of that. The scriptures tell us the, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Um, and you know, a text that we often think about at Christmas time of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. And uh, as we are uh, the people of God sent out with a message of hope, a message of salvation, a message of redemption, a message of reconciliation, I think it's a thrilling thing to be, to be a people who have been commissioned with and given a ministry of reconciliation. When we are, uh, as, as sinners, when we are alienated from God due to our sin outside of Christ, our goal becomes, even uh, when we are not fully conscious of it, to alienate God's world from him, to alienate creation from him. But when we are reconciled to God in Christ, our goal, our ministry becomes reconciling the totality of creation to him until finally, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, creation is released from its bondage to corruption uh, with the resurrection of our bodies, that, which is the payoff, the full inheritance that we've received. So that, that's, the, that's the, the, the hope that we have. And I don't think there could be anything more exciting in the world, on earth, than being ambassadors of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. If you did, it would mean a lot to us if you took a moment to subscribe, like, and share the podcast on social media and on your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.